This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Monday, April 26th, and this is Season 5, Episode 33 of the Four Star Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With, with me this week, we have Lucas. Hey, hey, how we doing? Nate. Hey. Joe L. Hello. And Joe T. Hello. So we're Joe Squared today. But um, I want to start the conversation. Um, last week, we had an episode where a lot had happened. And I think we're going to have another episode where a lot's happened. But uh, we, we we started the episode talking about how much we hated the Super League. Um, and we talked about the Jose uh, uh, firing, the, the likely re- replacement of Mason at that point in time. Um, and then the next day, the Super League collapses. So we never had a chance to talk about that. Um, but the ramifications are still going on this week. So I think we do have to have this conversation um and the the thing i want to kind of start that with is uh the 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 supporters trust has uh has asked the board to resign and i want to kind of have that conversation like on how you guys feel about that do you are you behind that are you uh, with the supporters trust in this or um do you think it's kind of a lost cause um it, it are, are we asking Levy to, to fire himself? What, what, what is the deal here? And, and Nate's got to stand up first, so we're going to go with Nate first. Well, yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think for those that have listened to me on this podcast for years, I've always been someone that's tried to rationalize Daniel Levy's behavior um, as thinking that it's going to lead somewhere better for Tottenham. And um, I didn't get a chance to talk about the Super League last week, but that lost me entirely, mm-hmm. that decision to leave to go to the Super League um, to a point where I don't wouldn't mind in the slightest and would actually be quite happy if he left. Um, so, so that was a big, that was a big change for me personally. Um, but as far as where the trust goes, it's kind of in that kind of weird place where it's like, yeah, I too believe that I wouldn't mind the whole board resigning. But again, as you say, is Levy going to really fire himself and how much control of that do we really have? So, I'm all in favor for them doing it, but it does come off as a little bit more wishful thinking than something concrete in any way, shape, or form. I'm, though I'm impressed that they did it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy they did. But as far as what I expect now, I don't expect much, to be honest. Yeah, and I think we could all get behind what they're, do, what, what they're trying to accomplish. But yeah, there is kind of a pointlessness of it. But maybe this could be the stepping stone to, the, to a better direction where maybe... Uh, fans are involved more because clearly the uh, Tottenham, as well as a lot of the league, made a decision without really thinking about the consequences of what the fans would think about it. It was kind of this foolishness of thinking that, oh, the fans are just going to go along with this because it, 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 it makes the team higher profile, that they have all these high profile games, that that's going to be what we all want. And I don't think it was what the fan bases wanted and uh, – it surprises me that they were surprised by this. Is, is that, uh, does it surprise anybody else? Uh, uh, Joel. 
Um, I I don't think they cared about the reaction, to be honest, from the fans. I think of all the apologies, uh, and I use that in the loosest possible uh, way, because it wasn't really an apology, but of all of the statements, ours was the least sort of apologetic, the least remorseful about the situation. It was just like, well, we're sorry that you're upset, but we thought it was the right decision. And if you look at it, really like rationally what what is Enoch what are Enoch they're an investment company right so Enoch bought Tottenham for 20 something million I don't have the numbers in front of me but it was 20 something million 20 years ago and now we're worth about 1.6 billion I think was the last I mean the stadium itself is probably worth about half that so they're behaving like an investment company and in a way you can't blame like that's what they are right like we invited these these people in charge of our club and they're an investment company and they're going to behave like an investment company and they're going to treat the club like a commodity and to them this was a money-making thing i don't think it's that they misjudged the fans reaction it's that that wasn't a big deal to them in the bigger picture i I think that's the the issue lucas uh yeah and i agree with joe um we can't expect them to behave in any way other than an investment company. We're an asset. We're not, we're not fan like fans. We like to think of ourselves as the voice. And we actually got to see the fans actually having a little bit of power during this. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's it to, to Enoch and to Levy. And I kind of agree with what Nate was saying, as much as I think it was cool that the supporters trust came out and did that. Um, and I think we all are pretty much sped up with it at this point. There's no way Levy's just going to say, you know what, you're right, guys, we're out. Um, there's so much money at stake. And I think that's like what Joe said, like the half-assed apology. It was never really – I don't think the fans, whether or not we cared, was really ever a part of it. Every decision Levy makes is about what can make more – it's all financial. And that's why I don't think – perfect example is Jose. I don't think the sacking of Jose Mourinho – on Monday or the timing of it all was because that was what would get us back on track or that was what would give us the best chance to win against Man City. It had nothing to do with that. There's like financial factors that we don't even know about and different clauses like, oh, if we release him on this day before a final, then we get to save this money and this and that. So all of his decisions come down to finance. And as much as we would like to think it's about us, it's really not. Let's go to Joe T next. Yeah, I mean, and wasn't it a little bit, little too late? Uh, weren't we like the last group of the big ones to really just jump out? Wasn't it kind of a last ditch effort for Levy to be like, oh yeah, we quit too? Pretty much. Uh, I, yeah. I think the, it's just what, a, Joe, what happened was they coordinated it. The last four teams, after City and Chelsea pulled out, the other four like released a statement at exactly the same time. So it was, none of them were seen as being the last, but it was, they'd obviously got together and said, let's do it at this time kind of thing, you know? Yeah. No, it, it, it certainly, what a mess. I mean, I, I, I think it's totally neglected the fan base's wishes of what we wanted. It was, uh, um, you know, it was a, it was a money grab and, uh, I, I can understand why certain clubs, like, uh, if you look at Spurs, you probably look at Arsenal, these teams that weren't in the champions league this past year, that um, that have other things 
going for them that they're being asked to join this thing. And uh, if they're left out, then they uh, they might as well be a small club. I can understand why the temptation to to join was, um, but the idea to begin with was just so foolish. And 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 and, and they're they're really. I, I, I'm trying to think of the right analogy for this. They're, the, uh, they got pie in the face, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Like they, they really fucked this up, and uh, and and now now there's the potential for even sanctions. Like the, um, maybe there'll be fines for 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 pulling this. Like who knows what's going to happen down the the road. I mean, uh, we we could look at fees. I hope there's not going to be any point deductions, or they don't try. I think I think the. I think they would be foolish to try that, but uh, Nate, uh, let's go to you next. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I can't really say they don't deserve anything that they that we get. Um, I think if we got points deducted, it'd be in every right for the Premier League to do that. I think um, I'm actually quite. It's quite funny because I think a lot of the cynicism. I, I there was a lot of cynicism when this first came out, and it bugged me a lot actually, to be honest, because it would be about like oh this is there's no way that like fans or anybody could do anything to stop this from happening these are billionaires they've thought about this for years and years and years and then that was followed by by like oh look at the creation of the Premier League in 92 look at the top four in the sky and all those kinds of stuff but no one really mentioned about that one that at least even with the creation of the Premier League it's still a promotion and relegation and then two on that first point I made that they really didn't. They, it fell apart in two days. This billionaire idea that was going to make loads of money for these 12 teams in seven different cities in Europe that would then be the prime European competition. And it fell flat on its face. And you, got, you were right. It wasn't just fans. It was UEFA and FIFA. It was the government. It was Brexit that stopped it from happening in waves because there, 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 was, there was rumors that came out that they were going to make foreign player visas impossible for the Super League teams in England. So, like, and that's only possible because of, because England got out of Europe. So it was like it was so many weird kind of tangential things coming out of it. It's an amazing story, and there's going to be documentaries in a couple of years about it that are going to be mind-boggling, in my opinion, to have this huge money-making idea just fall flat on its face in 48 hours. It's just incredible. So thank God it's not happening. I actually was, I mean... I, maybe it was a reaction, but like if that had happened, I don't know where I'd be as a Tottenham fan after that. To be honest, to be quite honest, like it would just be boring. It would be like here, and it would be and and, and that was another thing that pissed me off. Like they kept making this, oh, it's for the casual fans, for the international fans, for the American fan. It was led by Americans, and I was like, I don't want that fucking shit. They've got a the pyramid system's great, like. They don't want us what we have. It's 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 a bit. It has less soul. It's got less. It's it's got less intensity. The crowds are dead here, aside from maybe college football and college sports. Like, you don't want that in the Premier League. And for them to just try to like do that and not even tell anybody, not tell players, not tell managers, it's just so disgusting. And and it's something I think we all deep down knew. But to see it just be so blatantly done in front of everybody and thinking they could get away with it, just really just, like, I mean, I felt like a bit of me just kind of died in regards to kind of, like, supporting soccer and stuff like that. And I Uh, could have been more happy that it fell apart. I mean, like, I I, I think we were, the celebration that 
most fans had when it fell apart. Um, whatever the consequences now, uh, like uh, we're happier to have those consequences than to have this super league happen. So, um, any final thoughts on this uh, Super League before we kind of move the conversation along, jo- Joel? Yeah, very, very quickly. I, just to echo what Nate said. I mean, I've been, I've been a Spurs fan a long time, and I've, I love football. I've been football fan, playing, watching, and I would have been done with it from this. I mean, not just from Spurs' point of view. Spurs are part of the problem, but it was a much broader issue than than Tottenham being involved. For me, it would have ruined everything that I love about football. The idea that um, Marine can play Tottenham in the FA Cup, right? That That is gone if this happens. The idea that, uh, although it didn't benefit us, of course, but Leicester winning the league and even Leicester getting the Champions League this year, West Ham getting the chat, that's what makes it exciting. That's why we get up at 6am, 5am I mean, to watch the games. Us like, making the Champions League 10 years ago. Right, if this had happened 15 years ago, we wouldn't have been in, the, it would have been like Newcastle or someone, in, or Leeds instead of us in the in the picture. So it would have just killed the, the game. Never mind Tottenham. The, the Tottenham are part of a bigger kind of tapestry and it would have killed the whole thing for me. So massive sigh of relief and let's hope that these people who devised this plan are totally, that the sanctions don't punish the fans, you know, the five of us and people listening here, we didn't do anything wrong. So don't punish with a points deduction, punish the individuals who came up with this, make sure they never work in football in any way whatsoever again and that this can't be allowed to happen again. Put some checks and balances in place that means this can't uh, ever come about. Yeah, no, I think that's the that's the solution is the checks and balances and, and not punishing the fans is huge. Um, I've heard that talked about a lot, and that's that really is the key here. Like if the, if you if you turn it into a fan punishment issue, deduct points, make it less enjoyable for the fans. That's that's not really accomplishing anything regards to the Super League, it's got to be the, the, the people that were in charge. And I, and I hope that they're the ones paying any fines that, that are accumulated. It's not coming out of uh, um, the, the players that we're, we're going to be signing in the offseason or anything like that. Um, well, excellent conversation there, and I, I'm sure there's going to be lots more to be said about this. And as Nate said, documentaries down the road. I mean, we're going to be talking about this Super League failure for years. I mean, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be an interesting story all along, but we have so much other stuff to talk about today. So I want to very quickly talk about uh, the week that was, and we're going to start quickly with Southampton. Um, So Ryan Mason came in first match as a a first team coach Um, Southampton at home uh, this past Wednesday. Um, It was a bit of a nail biter not exactly a pretty performance um but spurs were able to come out of it with a a 2-1 victory um after a sun 90 minute penalty and like the gareth bale 60th minute uh um goal prior to that um danny ings had the uh, 30 minute goal on the on the southampton side that we had to come back from um when you look at uh Possession. We certainly controlled possession. Uh, we had a few more shots, but they had way more on target. Uh, what do you guys think on this this match, real fast? Uh, let's start with uh, Lucas. Uh, yeah, I think this was. I think we were all probably pretty disappointed, especially in that first half. Um, I think it was a bit of an eye opener to the fact that it 
doesn't really matter who's in charge when we play the way we play. I think the lack of a midfield hurt us. I think the Danny Ings goal, we were always expecting. He always scores against us at least once. And there's not a lot you can do. That's a brilliant header. But it, it, it's what happened when you give them that much. I think they had like five corners in the first half alone. Like you give a team enough opportunities and they have a couple of players that can hurt you. Eventually one will. And I think our inability to actually start anything going. I don't remember when our first shot was on target. I don't think it was in the first 40 minutes. Uh, it felt very similar to watching that Everton game the week before. It was very lackluster in that first half. Um, surprisingly, Winks coming on in the second half actually opened things up a little bit for us. But, yeah, I think it was just it was a pretty disappointing game. And I think the fact that we were able to get that win at the end was very fortunate. But, um, yeah, it didn't, I didn't walk away from that feeling, like, very hopeful for the future. I disagree entirely. Um, to be honest, um, uh, it was very much, the first half was crap, was, but it was the usual crap we've been watching. So it wasn't like, it wasn't expected. Like it was very much on the back foot Southampton, which are very much a first half team on how they press really got to us. They looked like a unit. They looked like they had purpose. We didn't look like we had any of that. We kept doing what we usually do when we try, when we have struggle play out the back where it goes into the left position to try to get the sun. Sun can't keep the ball. It gets turned over, or it's an errant pass by Regulon or something like that, and we give it all away or have to go back to the middle and then hit it long. And it was like that, and it kind of sucked. And then the second half started, and from the get-go in the second half, and maybe even the past couple of minutes in the first half, because Lucas missed the sitter right before halftime, but it was a totally different energy. It was pressing. It was putting them off their game. Um, Winks came on and did have a good effect, but even before that, I thought we had really asserted ourselves. Regulon was really was driving forward. He wasn't passing the ball and look, and kind of not looking to get involved. He was trying to be the focal point of attack and kind of really expressing himself. Um, same with Son. It was one of his better performances when he's been kind of crap for most of the second half of the season. Um, and Gareth Bale um, was brilliant in the second half. It kind of, he, I mean, that, that goal kind of was a microcosm of, of kind of his performance because it was something I think out of everybody we have, and even Harry Kane, I think, it was a goal only he could score on our team. Because if you go back and look at that goal, there is a Southampton player just in just about every part of that goal blocking it, except for this little incision between two of their shoulders, two of the defender's shoulders. And he put it right there, and he curled it in the back post. And it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. But he also was provider. He also get, kept things moving and attacked in a good way. And that was wonderful to see because... That was the first time, I think, or even I think the second time that we got points when we were losing at halftime all year. Or we won a game all year. That's how bad our second half has been. So having that be like this huge change and seeing that actually change kind of has me hopeful that we can get a couple of good results at the end of the season. I mean, yes, it's Southampton. It's one thing. We saw, we'll talk about the League Cup final and how we played against better opposition then. But it was different, I'll say, and it looked like a different attitude out there, and it was kind of a hap- It was kind of a happy attitude. Um, yeah, and, so- and that's what I wanted to ask next was, uh, was this Mason difference uh, noticeable with this match? And obviously, oh, absolutely. We'll talk about a city match where obviously that's a, a much tougher opposition. But for a first match, Southampton is it, it was it worth getting away rid of Jose for this? Uh, um, uh, Joe, well, I, hey, yeah, Joel. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm 
interested that Lucas and Nate have got such different opinions. I'm certainly on kind of the same thinking as Nate here. I, I agree that the first half was really bad. We didn't have a single shot on target and it was pretty much a continuation of what we've seen. But I'm totally with Nate. I think the second half was really good. I thought we played really well. And what the problem that we've had is that second halves have been bad. And Mason, whatever he did, probably... Look, Ryan Mason's not come in as some tactical genius, right? No one's thinking he's going to be the new, like, Johan Cruyff or something. He's basically come in because he knows the players, he's respected, he's played with those players, and he's kind of one of the lads type thing, and he's he's just going to cheer them up a bit, right? The kind of an, an anecdote to Mourinho. Is that the word I'm right looking for? Anecdote. But, um, yeah, like, second half was much better, and... I actually think we did have a different energy to us because when we scored the second goal, we actually pressed them after going ahead. We didn't retreat. We didn't go back in our own penalty box. We actually went for the third goal. Um, so I think there was a really um, different approach that we that we put together here. I mean, let's be honest. What Nate says about Bale, Bale wouldn't have started this game under Mourinho. Bale wasn't starting a game, uh, any games after the Arsenal game. Um, Mourinho had... You know, got the hump with him after the Arsenal game, and he's not he's not um, started since. So, I think it sort of made that decision look foolish, and it's also including Toby in the team has made that decision to leave Toby out look foolish. So, there's a couple of things Mason's done that have kind of not reflected well on Jose, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I, I I think we brought new energy uh, in this game as well. Yeah, no, the interesting conversation, and I think obviously. Uh, we'll probably have words about um, uh, maybe the Winks and Dombele issue, but that probably will come up more in the um, when when we talk about the the, the Cup final. But um, but yeah, there's different decisions, like a, a slightly different style. I think the players' tendencies still tend to be this defensive because we've been training that way all all, all uh, season, and you can't just throw that out the window with one training practice. Um, but uh, but but I do think it was uh, a difference and and let's face it like South Southampton at home we may have this may have been a draw under Jose I mean this seems to be like what the players were doing and if the players weren't going to play for Jose anymore then uh, um, uh, it doesn't matter who we put in there as long as they're willing to play and we'll have conversations about whether the players are good enough. Uh, we have a couple questions going to that second half, so I'm not going to neglect that because I know, Lucas, you're probably uh, fuming right now about what I'm saying. But I, I want to roll this into an MVP-LVP conversation because I want to move on to the, the cup final conversation. Um, so let's uh, start with uh, Joe T first. And uh, who is your, your MVP or man of the match player for this match? I would have to say... Bale, just seeing him get on the score sheet again after, you know, not as many uh, times on the pitch as I think he should have been in this lone spell we've had. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's certainly like uh, to see him start under somebody that's not somebody who's younger, uh, 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 a coach that's younger than him. Um, and, and perform that was exciting to see. So I agree with you. That's a, that's a good point. Let's go to Nate next. I'll bail too. I mean, it's an easy pick for me. He, he I mean, it, it was I, when I was reading the game, and this was even before he scored. I was like, "Is Jose's responsible for us not seeing this 100?" And, and seeing him play like that, 
during that game just made it 100% clear that we made the right decision to sack Jose Mourinho, even before the cup final, because, like, he's cost us point. Like, why couldn't Bale play against Newcastle? Like, even talking about the bigger teams, when, yeah, he looked fragile against Arsenal a little bit, but to be fair, he was paired with Matt Doherty, who was god-awful as well, um, and a lot of people got off on that game. So if we're using that as the kind of rationale, just keep them out and then have our, and it struggle as bad as we did at Everton, we couldn't have used them at Everton. We were directionless against Everton. We couldn't have used that guy there. Like, it, it's absolutely a joke that you frozen this dude out for so much of the season, um, especially when he came on strong in, in the late winter. And that's how he did. And he picked up right where he left off in those games. And for our running we have and the competition we have, he should be starting every game for the rest of the season. Uh, let's go to Lucas next. Uh, yeah, Bale. Um, I think his 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 quality just even though we hadn't he didn't really do a lot in the first half or anything. All he needs is one opportunity like that to flip a game. He's that good, and I think he's had 11 starts and 11 goal contributions in those 11 starts. So, like Nate said, I, for me that was the big thing where I was finally Jose out was that Everton game not starting him. Like the numbers speak for themselves. Every time he's out there, he's creating a goal. Like I, I don't get why he just got frozen out, and I don't think we'll ever know. But yeah, he was uh, very good. Usual bail quality on on Wednesday. He was my MVP. Good shot there. Let's go to uh, Joel next. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what everyone said. Um, he, I think, bail averages. A goal or an assist every 81 minutes, I saw um, somewhere this in the Premier League, which is incredible, actually. It's one of the top <laughs> top best averages in the league. Um, totally agree with Nate. The fact that he wasn't on the field against the likes of Everton and Newcastle, it's just throwing away points. It's crazy. He didn't start against Zagreb away. I'm sure we would have gone through that game if we had Bale on the pitch at the start. He came on at the end of the game. Um Absolute. I, of all of Mourinho things, I think the use of Bale is probably the the single worst uh, thing that he, that he's done. Um, last thing I'll say: shout out to Hugo because he made an incredible double save in the. He's like one minute into the game. I mean, that would have been horrendous for Mason to go one behind after like a minute and a half. Hugo with a great double save. Um, I, fantastic stuff. Um, but yeah, overall throughout the game, I, I agree with Bale MVP. But- and 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 Bale's my MVP. Joe, would you say that uh, your um, Hugo certainly deserves deserves a shout? Would he be your second second pick then? Yeah, yeah, I definitely Bale overall, but certainly Hugo would be the next. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay, so let's go to LVP next, and we'll start back at uh, Joe T. Theo Walcott, just because can't stand him. <laughs> Whenever he's on the pitch, he's the worst person on the pitch. Uh, uh, Lo Celso, uh, I just didn't rate him very much. Uh, didn't really do anything for me. Uh, I know he's got a lot to get match fit. I mean, I think he's all season kind of been off and on. Uh, I think he'll hopefully come into form next season. But, yeah, for me, it was Lo Celso. I, I think you've got a good point there with Lo Celso. Like, I mean, it's been – it's been kind of up and down and ugly all season. And there's the injuries that he's been riding that like, uh, he's going to be my LVP as well. Uh, so I'll, I'll just jump in right there, but let's go to Nate next. Yeah. For me, 
it could have been Los Celso, but for me it was Ndombele, um, because um, I've almost had it with him, to be honest. It's and, and I mean, there's been there was a lot of complaints about him not playing in the League Cup final, but I would argue that the Adamler that we would have needed to win that game has not shown himself in a long, long time. And a huge problem with that is that for all the creativity he can do, his positioning on defense and any sort of transition, and even in picking up the ball from deep, which we desperately need, and what he was supposed to do is be the guy that our defense could feed into the middle of the park and him to be able to bring the ball forward. But he can't even do that. And part of it is because he refused. I don't even know if he wants to get the ball in those situations. Like he will not. If you watch him during the game, he will wander around. Maybe that's to the. Maybe that's instruction. But it doesn't look good to see him wander around, being constantly marked by somebody, and not really trying too hard to get unmarked by that person. And it's something I've noticed consistently, and it's driving me insane. And it was more of that to then, out of position. I mean, you could see how bad, how um, how our midfield struggled when they had the ball, and how they were able to just kind of walk through it throughout the first half. And when we were on the front foot in the, in the second, we didn't have many of those problems. But then once Winks came on, it was not a problem at all. And he came on for Indomitable. And for the fact that Harry Winks can come on and kind of make that difference and make me say, oh, Winks is doing a better job of that, is not good. It's not good. Like, we need our $65 million player to play like one, um, and he's not. And I'm kind of getting done with him. So this was just another example of a guy that was supposed to be something Another record signing that's fallen very, very flat for me. Well, and, and to your point, we're going to Lucas next. And I think this, like, we're used to having episodes where Nate, you and Lucas are butting heads. And I think this is going to be an area where the two of you are going to agree. Uh, Lucas, who's your LVP? He took the words out of my mouth. He literally said them. Everything he said was, I'm bang on. The only thing I'm going to add is that it just, I get even more frustrated when I keep hearing people use the word potential with him. Because you're 60, we don't buy somebody for 65 million for your potential. We bought it because we expect you to come in and do this job, and he hasn't since he's been here. And Wednesday was just another example of it. And like Nate said, the fact that Winks can come on for you and do a better job is very problematic for us moving forward. So he was mine by a mile. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, Joe L. This is funny because I thought I was going to have a hot take by piling on Ndombele, but apparently everyone's. Everyone's on the same wavelength. Yeah, like completely agree with with that. Um, I mean, I don't want to go into the cup final because obviously we'll talk about that um, separately. But the fact he was dropped for that game, kind of like Nate was saying, wasn't wasn't a surprise to me because he is a player that, like like Lucas said, potential and it's flashes. Same with a lot of our players. Same with Ali. You know, it's like they can do a couple things a game that are great and catch the eye. And on like match of the day highlights, people are like, wow, that's amazing. But the consistency of a lack of consistency, rather, for, for doing that. And Ndombele, just, it just shows you three managers now haven't trusted him in big games. Pochettino didn't trust him. And you, yes, there was the fitness issue where you couldn't last more than 60 minutes, which is still a, another issue. The only Probably the only thing Nate didn't mention that I you know, was thinking is his lack of fitness is still an issue. Um, but yeah, the managers don't trust him. They don't. The only way Jose was trying to mitigate it was to push him higher up the pitch in a number 10 role. And if you do that, then it changes the shape of the team. Other players who are probably better suited to number 10 role don't play in that role. So it's like a jigsaw 
piece that doesn't fit. He, he, something needs to click with Ndombele because, yeah, like exactly like you guys said, once he went off, the game totally changed. And no one thinks Harry Winks is a world beater, but you know what? He did a decent job when he came on. And um, it really shows that our record signing is kind of a a player who's just got in flashes every now and again. He might score a wonder goal away at Sheffield United, but when we need him at Arsenal in this game, you know, he's he's been missing too often. So I agree. I, he's my LVP too. Yeah, and it, it's certainly a problem. I uh, I agree with everybody on. I uh, um, as much as I didn't want to see Winks come on in this match, he did, he did all right, and uh, um, and I was in agreement that Ndombele needed to come off. He was getting beat by players that he shouldn't be beat by, and it was just a frustrating watch. And um, I wasn't sad to not see him in the um, the cup final, though, which were were about to transition to, but. It was just more frustrating that we didn't have any other options to go with in this particular situation. Um, I think that's what frustrated me the most. Uh, but uh, let's shift the conversation into this League Cup final. Um, so, um, as always, like a cup final is always an exciting time, regardless of what. And I think probably most of us, if you felt we weren't going to win this match. I know I made a 6-0 prediction, but that was more just like a, a tongue-in-cheek. I knew that was never going to happen. I really didn't think we were going to win this match. But uh, but it ended up being a 1-0 loss. It wasn't like a devastating uh, annihilation or embarrassment by any stretch of the imagination. It was just not very exciting moving forward. Like We didn't have a lot of ideas or creativity. I don't think that there was a lack of effort in this match. I think there was some effort, but... the um, um, Maybe we just were outclassed by a, a Manchester City, and uh, and and we weren't able to find a way to get lucky in this one. Uh, let's go to Nate first and talk about this. So it's definitely an interesting one because if you had told me that we were going to lose one nil to them in the Cup final before the match started, I've been like, okay, that's fair. Really, for what we are, what we kind of went through coming into this, for how great they are. I mean, I say it all the time, they're a cheat code. They're FIFA on semi-pro. They're just like it, it's not it's not fair. It, I mean, they, they, there's a reason they've not lost a League Cup game since Obama was in office. It's like absolutely ridiculous. Um, and they win two or three trophies every year playing this way. They've got what probably the best manager that's been a manager in my lifetime, and they've got some amazing players throughout. And their most amazing player is this guy that wasn't even playing for them last year, Phil Foden, who's just every time he gets the ball, he's just tremendous. De Bruyne was bad. Like they had every, they had everybody, and we were maybe wondering if they were going to take it easy because they had the semifinal in the Champions League on Wednesday. They did not. They did not take it easy. They had all their big guns out there. So, so if you told me that going in, I would have been like, oh yeah, fair play. Wow, you only hold them to one goal. That's pretty impressive. But then watching the game, there's like, there's like playing defensively well, and there's getting away with and getting very lucky. And we got away with a lot. We got very lucky to not be down two or three in that first half. And um, there's a – Jamie Carragher had about a five- to seven-minute video he's put on Twitter kind of analyzing how we played in that first half. And I urge all of you guys to watch it because it really shows kind of the one word that I would use to describe us in big games all season, in big games starting with Jose Mourinho, and it's timid. It is, it is incredibly timid. And everyone was so scared of making a mistake. They refused to move the ball forward. 
They've refused to try to pass through City's lines. If they couldn't get something perfect, they'd pass it back to the center backs, we would hook the ball forward and we'd lose the ball because we wouldn't be able to. If we won the first challenge, we'd lose the second challenge. And for the entire first half, that was it. And and it was and it was re- and it was really frustrating. But at the end of the day, this has been I think this has been a way they've been drilled into to play this way. I mean, there were rumors after Jose got sacked that these that they would spend so much time on like small things, and I think that's just been ingrained into them now. And that they, it's going to take a lot to change them. And it's it's really it's not it's really scary because it definitely shows there's a reason why we haven't beat we've one top half team in the last six or four or five months. Let's go to Lucas next. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, timid is a nice way to put it. I, I would have put a used a slightly more aggressive word there, but yeah, it drove me nuts how you're in a cup final and we're playing Man City. Like no one expected us to have a lot of the ball. I think right off the bat, I was concerned with not having Bale out there. Um, and now you could argue, well, what was Bale going to really do when we didn't have any of the ball? And even when Bale came on, he wasn't able to do much without the ball. But in a game like City, where you're not going to have a lot of the ball and you're not going to have a lot of chances, you need to hope that someone is on the end of those chances, being Harry Kane or Gareth Bale or one of the few guys that we have that's proven that they can score goals in these big games. Um, and so I thought to not have Bale out there for it, for when one of these chances came our way, I would have loved to see him on the end of it. Um, I, I thought that again, we showed that lack of willingness to try and take somebody on. Lucas Moura was the only one out there yesterday that looked like he wasn't scared shitless of Man City. Every time he got the ball, he was like, I don't care who's in front of me. I'm going to run at you because that's what I do. And I love to see that from him. And it, it, it drove me nuts seeing somebody like Son, who you know Son can carry the ball and he can challenge people. He's done it against City. He scored how many goals against them in that two-legged quarterfinal? So I, I don't know where this fear... I mean, a perfect example was the Regulon one where Hoybeer was running and Regulon was running off to his side. And Regulon's the guy there as the fullback. That's your job to make that run. And he kind of just waited for Hoybeer and then was looking at Hoybeer like, oh, I thought you were going to shoot it. Like, Hoybeer wasn't going to take a left-footed shot from that angle. He was playing it off to you. That's the play. But that lack of aggression was just, uh, it was just, it frustrated the life out of me. Yeah. Let's go to Joel next. It's it, it was so weird because to think we were in that game in the 80, whatever it was, 83rd minute when they scored and I have never seen a team luckier to go in nil-nil in my life than that. I went back and watched the game and I couldn't believe that because that, I missed the first half. I actually saw Nate on Sunday. That was fun, wasn't it, Nate? Um, uh, oh, yeah, half, no, but it was I, great. <laughs> but um, the first half, I just couldn't believe we'd gone in nil-nil because they absolutely destroyed us. Like the, I think after like six minutes, they'd had about... Uh, four shots. I mean, it was like kids' football when there's like one of the one of the kids' teams is two years older or something. It was so dominant at the start. Um, I what I would say, I think Anthony made a good point. You can't expect Mason, and obviously no one's like hating on beating up on Mason too much here so far, but. He can't go in and say, right, guys, you've been doing this for 18 months under Jose. Let's play a completely different. Let's go like four up front. And, do, you know, he's, he's not going to do that. He's going to have to stick to some sort of the parameters of what they've been used to doing. So there wasn't a great deal of 
flexibility in terms of how we could have set up. So as much as I love Gareth Bale, I think leaving him on the bench wasn't necessarily the worst because I can sort of see a logic. Look, if we're still in this game with 30 minutes to go, he can come on. I think what killed it for us was the substitutions. Bringing Sissoko on is, oh my, I mean, if we never learned, like this is just like history repeating itself. It's just maddening, you know, like we've totally been beaten up on Ndombele for good reason, but at least, you know, I wouldn't have hated that change because Ndombele can unlock the die. It would have been rolling the dice. It would have been doing something. Bringing Sissoko on is just a recipe for disaster, and, and that's what we got. Uh, I think Nate wants to jump in quick before we go to Joe T. Yeah, no, I, I just, like, the moment that happened, and I thought before that, we'd actually finally grown into the game. And Lacelso, I thought, had a terrible first half. But the moment the second half started, he actually had our only shot on target. He was playing much better. And he was actually feeding the ball to Lucas, who was driving forward, or came when he dropped deep and was driving forward. And there actually was, like, some sustained counterattacks that we were actually doing. It was great. I mean, Port got that, that yellow card. It should have been a second, but he finally got that because he had to drop Kane in another time. And the moment I saw Sissoko come on for Lacelso, I was like, this is it. We ain't got a shot. We're never going to get another chance. We're not going to have another attacking chance all game. And I was right. We didn't. We folded our shell. He didn't mark Laporte. They score. And I don't think we really did anything after that to even try to, to get it, to get back into the game. So it was just like, it just sucked. Again, it sucked the life out of us, that substitution. And I've been the biggest defender of Sissoko, again, for a long time. But he's lost me this season entirely. Um, between that and the Zagreb game, uh, he's totally lost me. Well, I, I agree with you. Let's go to Joe T next. I do want to kind of pose, like, is you were at the pub uh, with us on uh, Lucas as well. We were we were all at the pub on uh, uh, on Sunday, and a cup final is always a good time. And I think we had a a blast, regardless of the result. But um, was the that Sissoko uh, substitution? Did that just deflate the pub? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, you heard the groans. Um, it was. I mean, I was deflated before the end of the first half, to be honest with you. Uh, your 6-0 prediction that was could have been dead on at the first half for City. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, we've seen some – a lot of us have seen so many of these games, and it's been this situation so many times. And I really don't think – I think the team sheet was right on. Uh, I just – Mason couldn't predict the way that they were just going to press us and try and make his team. He didn't have enough time to coach his boys the way that he needed to. And you know, I think we are extremely lucky to not have gotten beaten uh, a lot worse than we really did. And uh, yeah, typical Spurs fashion, we we lose on a set piece. Uh, how many times does that happen? The guy that should have been sent off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and luck, and luck be a Hugo for sure. I mean, uh, um, uh, like you're talking about luck, luck, Joe, and like Hugo was what created a lot of that luck for us. But let's go to Lucas. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, sucking the wind. We all felt that on the, at, at the pub. There was like, um, even though we were, like Nate had mentioned, we had started to kind of grow in the game. We started to see us have a chance or two and actually put together a good counterattack. And then, so you're thinking, okay, look, I know we're not, the dominant team here, but there could, something could happen. You know, like we started, we all had that little bit of belief, especially at the pub. And there was that good attitude and vibes in there. And then when you brought, when he brought on Sissoko, there was this like 
collective wind taken out of our sails because I think we all knew at that point that what we're doing right now, like Nate said, he he said he didn't expect us to have another shot or another attacking moment. And as soon as we took Sissoko on, I think what that basically just said was, well, hopefully we're going to try and take this to 120 minutes and take it to pens. Like, because I, I don't know what the game plan was there, but as soon as he came on, it just felt like we were just going to shut up shop and say, well, hopefully we can take it to pens and Harry can get one or something. Like, I don't know what, again, I'm not a football manager, but it, it just, it seemed to deflate us as fans and it looked like it didn't help the players much better either. We didn't uh, sing a song after he came on, did we? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, no, actually, we did sing the uh, the the Sissoko. Sissoko came on at the same time as Bale, and we tongue in cheek kind of sung "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." Who needs Bale when you got Sissoko? When they both came on at the same yes. time. Yes. But um, but regardless, uh, I think Lucas, you were next, and then uh, Joe. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, Joel was next, and then uh, Nate. Yeah, Lucas makes a good, a very interesting point there. Like, he gets to the 80-something minute, and you've got to, I said, Nate can back me up on this, uh, with about, I guess, 25 minutes to go, I was saying, look, if this goes to penalties, where we've got the advantage here, we've got Hugo in goal. They've got a kid, backup keeper, right? Like, so after we've been complaining all season about how defensive we've been and you know, like putting everyone behind the ball. This was actually an example where it made complete sense in the last 15 minutes to actually do that. Like I would have been completely, people might have hated that, but I look, that's a, that's a legitimate approach to take. The problem was we like, we didn't have a strategy really at that point. It was just kind of, you couldn't really see what we were trying to do. And it's typified by the mistake that Aurier makes because if you're switched on in a cup final, when Raheem Sterling gets the ball and he's going absolutely nowhere, he's in the corner, he's got nowhere to go and you just barge into him and they've got Kevin De Bruyne, the best free set-piece taker in the entire league. I mean, you could not imagine a more stupid decision to make. And it, it's just totally indicative of Tottenham's you know, like Nate mentioned the Carragher video, I second what he said. It's a really, really good delve into what it is. And it's it's about the play and about the mentality of the team. They don't even sense that, like, guys, we if we get this to penalties, we're the favourites here. We've got Kane. That's a goal on a penalty, for sure. Sun's more than likely. We're actually in a decent position here, but they don't sense that. They make stupid boneheaded decisions, fouling players in areas that's going to lead to problems. Suzoko not even picking up his man off a set piece. And then, just to close out here, when they scored, the thing that really annoyed me the most the whole game was the lack of urgency from us in the last 10 minutes. It looked like we were a man down. Like, Son wasn't running. Like, he wasn't sprint. Like, we were a goal down in a cup final. Just put everyone up front for the last few minutes. Just go for it. Who cares if it ends 2-0 instead of 1-0? So what? doesn't make a difference. We played like pedestrian for that last 10 minutes. I, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe my eyes. Yeah. Well, let's go. To, uh, I think, Nate, you were next. I was just going to say that the, the very glaring stat that I think everyone's seen right now is that we've, in our last four cup finals, we've not scored a single goal, um, which is just pathetic. There's no really other way to describe it. Um, and yeah, those those games have been against tough opposition, but to get there, we have to be a good team too, right? And like Ashley said, I mean, Sun, 
crying at the end of the game. And, I mean, Joe heard me. I was just like, fuck off. Just fuck off. Because he was dog shit. And he's been dog shit for most of the second half of the season. Um, it, 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 and it was just like a microcosm of like, of like this, of like a kind of just kind of the decline we've seen under so many of these players that we've all fell in love with um, in a way because they were, they were so fun to watch grow and become this incredible force to give us the heights that we never saw before and to almost getting the ultimate prize in the Champions League final. But ever since that Champions League final, it's like, I mean, I, I, I thought it was just Posh that checked out, but it looks like they've all checked out since then. It's been kind of like, there's been a couple moments where Jose, Jose was able to kind of get, get them back up. Having that pandemic break seemed to help. But it's back to where we started right now, and it's just like that last 10 minutes really summed it up. They didn't think they had a chance to win, and why should we watch them if they didn't think they are going to win? And, yeah, and I think we're going to have a couple of questions that we'll be able to elaborate on that whole point that you just made there, Nate, on some of the players and being able to get up and everything like that. Um, but um, I think this is probably a good place to go to MVP, LVP in this one. And I'll start MVP because it's easy. I'll take the easy out. And it's got to be Hugo. I mean, it could be anybody besides Hugo Lloris in this match. He stood on his head. He kept us in that first half. Like, I mean, like, uh, it could have easily been, like, as I think uh, Joe T said, like, uh, like 6-0 in the first half uh, uh, city um, if it hadn't been for Hugo. So certainly my MVP in this one. Uh, let's go to Joe T next. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally Hugo. Uh, he saved us from a complete and utter embarrassment. And it was nice to see that from a captain, too, like to be able to like as much as we've complained about him being captain and not having the on the, the field captain like I, I he, he deserved the armband in this match because, man, like he he, he carried us on his back for it. Uh, let's go to Nate next. Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, Hugo is really was really, really great. Um, and God, but I mean, some of those saves like you go from. Hugo to uh, to um, Joe Hart and like he's got to teach him like wrist uh, workouts because Joe Hart's wrists are just absolute flabby compared to Hugo. So it's like one hand saves on like the bottom quarter. How does he even do that? It's absolutely nuts. But for me, I think um, any of the uh, either center back could also be big. I thought both of them were fantastic. I thought Eric Dyer had his best game in months. I thought Toby kind of was our offense with his long balls. That's really all we had you know, when we couldn't play through the middle. And he did an, an, a great job, and they were really let down by the fullbacks in the midfield in front of them. But I thought both of them were fantastic. I think both saved the goal by blocking him. So well done to them both. Um, and I thought Lucas was all right, too. But other than that, I mean, Kane was Kane. Kane was injured Kane. He, that was better than most players on the field. But, but yeah, those four were really it. Well, and uh, good point, Nate, with the uh... – for for how much we've been complaining about like our defensive woes with this team, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toby and Dyer both really stepped up and made some great plays in this match. Um, let's go to Lucas next. Uh yeah, Hugo, no doubt. For me, he was he and, and a special shout out to Lucas Mora for being the only one that seemed to realize that we were in a cup final. But um, yeah, Hugo was world class yesterday. 
Yeah, and I think we, we didn't talk about that. Um, we we kind of skipped around that, but Lucas coming being subbed off, I think, more so than the, the, the substitutions that came on. Yeah, I didn't agree with Sissoko coming on at that point, but I had no problem with Bale coming on because uh, it made sense. Like, okay, play def- play with teams players that can play more defensively early on and then bring Bale on late late on to try and nick a goal and 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 maybe uh win this cup uh at at the end like i could see the strategy there but um but lucas coming off the only guy that was showing any heart the only guy that seemed like he wanted to take on a player like even if he wasn't successful most of the time son wasn't trying to take on players like i think harry probably because of being hurt if i'm going to be a little fair to him didn't seem like he was uh, challenging that much either, but Lucas was. Um, so, yeah, good shout for Lucas there, Lucas. Uh, let's go to Joe L next. Hugo for me as well. Um, brilliant stuff. Like you already said, it would have been an embarrassing scoreline just at half time, uh, but for Hugo and also Toby and Dyer. I mean, those three really, yeah, Lucas is, is a good call. Four of the team come out with any credit. Like, no, Kane was injured, really, wasn't fully fit. He, you know, so maybe he gets a little bit of a, a mitigation. But when you, when you perform so badly as a team that they have to add a decimal place to XG, because if they round it up to the nearest 10th, it's zero. <laughs> like, our XG was zero in this game, zero. It was 0.04, so he rounded up to zero. I mean, it's like they've literally had to add another decimal place because we were so shit in this game as a team. Um, other than the two centre-backs, Hugo and Lucas, everyone else was just stank the place out. So fair play to those players, but no one else. Okay, um, I guess since I started, I have to start LVP too. Um <sighs> I, you know, I, I don't think he was god-awful, but, uh, I mean, it was, like, if you look at the one mistake that lost us the game, it, it has to be REA, I think. Um, I mean, there's lots of players that didn't perform very well in this one, but um, um, just just for that one moment, the moment that it seemed to cost us, uh, I'm going to go REA. So uh, let's go to Joe T next. I'm going to have to say regular. Uh if you want to go with the, you know, the way that you said it, uh, I think that if you had been paying attention to the uh, ball by Holberg, he would have scored and we would have held a whole different ballgame on our hands. No, that's a that's a fair point too. I mean, you could look at it in uh, like a, a, he was a shit goal, defending too. Goal he was either direction that day, like yeah, both ways. No, that's a good, good shout. Like I I shouldn't have uh, neglected him entirely, but good. Good point, Joe T, and let's go to Nate next. Sorry, unmuting. Um, I already gave my way, but it's Sun for me. I mean, I think I, I just feel like there were too many moments where you were, when you're him and you're the star that he is, you expect him to play so much better. And he never showed up. And it's been gradual all season. I mean, he played decent against Southampton, I'll give him that. But this was just, it was back to how he's been against most top teams. He's got, I feel like he's got no confidence in himself. He would, he would refuse to take Kyle Walker on once. Once. Wouldn't do it. Didn't even try. And horrible first touches, 
wasn't. I mean, there were there were several times when we we were on the counterattack and went to him, and his face was just straight down looking at the ball. I wasn't looking for anybody else, and he'd pass it terribly to somebody. And it was just that over and over and over again. And it's just like, damn. It was like, yeah, he's a great finisher, and he can go on hot streaks, but it's too much of this. It's too much of this, especially recently. Like in the past, maybe it's been like a month where he's been like had a poor start, but for this, it's been two or three straight. And it's definitely concerning because, like, Kane and Son are the guys we kind of hold our hats on for kind of being a team that can maybe come back to an elite status in a year or two with a couple of good buys. He's not playing in an elite status and hasn't been since December. So, so yeah, it's very it's very scary. And, and the, the tears, I mean, we know he's a very emotional player. Um, but hopefully he can figure himself out after that, and hopefully he gets better for it for the rest of the season and next year because it's not looking good right now, not for him. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. I mean, it's tough to to pick people. The son was so disappointing in this one, and it is concerning. Let's go to Luke. This next, this might be another agreement. Yeah, I actually had son too, but I wanted to give Joe a good call too, Joe, with the regular night. Regulon was, I, I mean, there was probably a handful of guys that were least valuable and were just absolutely useless. I mean, Serge made some dumb plays, but he had some good plays defensively as well. Um, like, I thought Winks was useless. I thought Lacelso was a ghost other than that one really great shot that he had. Um, I thought Regulon was, Regulon's yellow again. You got a guy who's been a liability defensively for us for months. He's proven himself horrid at defending. And then you're going to pick up a yellow, like, and then, so you can't even fully make challenges. Like Mares, I thought, walked by him a few times because he knew he couldn't touch him. And so Regulon getting that early yellow on a ridiculous challenge was brutally, like, that was just awful. But, yeah, for me, we've seen a lot of that from guys, but it, it had to be Sun because, I mean, this was the game that we needed you. This was the game that we had pretty much no other option than, like, a bit of magic from you or Harry. That's what we, that was our way of getting a goal. and he just didn't even show up and that's why I was agreed with Nate. I put a bunch of rants in the group chat yesterday, how upset I was where you see him on the ground crying, getting hugged from like city players and stuff like that. I'm like, ah, it just drove me. It just burned me to my core because I'm like, they're just the lack of effort from you, son was shocking in a big cup final. So someone that cares about the club as much as you do, like I, if a couple of shots or didn't go your way or they made some nice saves on you and we didn't get a goal, that's one thing. But to not turn up and show that little of effort had me fuming at Sun yesterday. Yeah, and I I don't know if I want to entirely blame it on effort, but it, it, like he certainly allowed himself to be outclassed and he got into his own head and didn't allow himself to play well. And it certainly has been an ongoing problem, as Nate pointed out. But maybe I'm just being too soft on him because, uh, like, you watch that guy cry and you just want to feel bad for him. But, um, but no, I hear everything you're saying. <laughs> I, I feel everything that you're saying, uh, Lucas and uh, uh, Nate both. But I was like, dad I, beat the shit out of him. No, scratch <laughs> that. I don't. That's <laughs> uh, like, let's go. But, to no, Joe like his next. dad probably yelled at him for that. Maybe that's why I was crying. So uh, could be. It could be. <laughs> Let's go to Joel next. I mean, I agree with the comments on Sun, but he's such a nice guy. I'm I'm not going to beat up on Sun anymore. Um, I'm going to say... I mean, 
as much one-sided as this game was, and as much as they completely destroyed us, especially in the first half, it was a game decided on a set piece by a terrible error by Aurier, like I mentioned. But I'm actually going to give it Sissoko because because he came on and his job is that presumably the reason Sissoko was brought, I'm trying to rationalize why he would have been brought on because he's got a lot of energy and industry and he'll do, you know, he'll do the running and all that. But he didn't because on the free kick, he just let Laporte completely unmarked, get a run up on him and get the, and that decided the game. And as much as that sounds ridiculous to just look at one incident over the whole game, they only scored one goal as unlucky as they were. That goal decided it. And Sizilko came on and just let him have a free header, a free run at goal and a free header. So for me, that the fact that that decided the game and it was his, him who dropped the ball, uh, he's my LVP. Yeah, no, I, everybody's got good cases here for all these guys. And it's unfortunate, like, this whole match, like, uh, I wanted to win so bad. I didn't expect to win. Um, we, I kind of got what I expected. But um, at the same time, it was great to see people, uh, just to leave it on a bit of a positive note, it was great to see people back out at the pub again. Some faces like newly vaccinated people that haven't been out in uh, months. Um, some new faces who I had just met. Like uh, the pub, not quite full like we would have had it back in the day, but still uh, um, way busier than than it's been during the pandemic and when we're, we've been socially distancing and uh, like you'd have like ten or twelve guys uh, separated at a bar. It, it was nice to see a pub relatively full, a few sing songs going on, and it, it it was nice to have that event again, even if it couldn't come out the way that I had hoped it would. Um, and I can't wait till we're all back in the same place again and all watching in the, 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 the same way, and we don't have health and safety reasons to keep us apart anymore. Um, but a, a good experience... I hope the next cup final is the one that we actually find pull through because I, I, as a fan, have never seen Spurs win a, a, a cup because I'm a relatively new fan, as you guys know. But um, but still a good day out. Um, I'm sorry for the result, um, but um, but I'm not going to let it devastate me. This is part of being a, a fan. Like you have to take these losses and uh, like the negatives with the the, the goods and. And uh, there was both on that day, like we, that we kept it to one nil, but wasn't too bad for a team that was uh, with a new coach uh, that just had to sack a coach that had all this super league nonsense in the background that had to play this cup final late in the season. Uh, and there was a lot going against us here and it is what it is. And we're going to move on to the next, step so uh any final thoughts before we wrap up uh this half and go into the second half okay i uh, so uh, second half we are going to um take a couple more questions that we have on kind of the direction of players slash coach um and um and we'll preview the sheffield united game that we have at home next sunday of may 2nd but first we're going to go to our halftime second segment luke's locks all right, kids. Here's some free money. We got first game we're gonna get is we're gonna get a couple of overs this week, but right off the bat, 
Chelsea and Real Madrid in a Champions League first leg of the semifinal. Chelsea's playing away, and they are a .5 goal favorite or uh, underdog. So take Chelsea with the .5 goals there. Uh, I think they're going to Real Madrid, and I'm expecting them to fully park the bus. They've been a really hard team to break down when they do that, so that could be your first free win there. Second game, Saints at home to Leicester. We're going to go over two and a half goals here. Saints can score at home, and Leicester really needs to win this game, so I expect Leicester to win and get a couple goals there, so take over two and a half. Uh, Third one, another over, is Palace at home against City. We just saw City has the potential to score many, many goals. So anytime City's involved in a game and it's the over-under is under three, we're going to take the over on that one. And last, another over here is going to be us Spurs at home against Sheffield United. The over-under is at two and a half. We know we don't keep clean sheets, so we'll only have to score two to hit the over on that one. And there is your free money of the week. Let's go get rich, kids. Thanks, as always, Lucas. Uh, One of these days I'm actually going to place a bet based off of your recommendation, but I haven't yet. Um, But I'll have to have you help me set up an account to pull pull it off at some point. Uh, But but thanks, as always, for the the locks and the the break at halftime. But I want to roll into two questions that we have, um, and they're both kind of semi-related. The first one comes from Kyle Mates. So Kyle Mates asks us on Twitter, uh, do you care who the next manager of Spurs will be if there isn't any change in the personnel in the team? Um, I think I well, – Nate's got his hand up first, um, so let's start with Nate. Well, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. I think there's no chance we don't sign anybody again for a window and we don't sell anybody again for a window. So I just I just don't see that happening. Um, but it always is going to be, well, is it enough? Because it hasn't been. We've got guys like Winks and Sissoko and Serge. And, I mean, maybe keep Eric Dyer after League Cup. Because he did play really, really well. But I don't know. But somebody wants him in there. Sanchez hasn't really impressed. But these guys ain't getting better, is what I'm saying. Like, we've seen what we've seen of them. They're not going to just a new manager. There's a couple guys, I think, that haven't showed that I think we could turn around. You're Steven Bergvines, even in Dombele, LaCelso. But it's not those guys that have been here four years now that are kind of still shifting in these kind of subpar performances consistently. So um, it's really going to be how many leave and who we replace them with. Honestly, from what I can tell, Oliver Skip can slot right into being um, depth in the midfield when he comes back in. Um, you've got, I don't know how deep you want to tap into the youth system, but there are a couple of talented youngsters in there. Um, Joseph has already talked about putting Scarlet into the first team next season, even though he's young. We'll see if that still happens with him gone. But that's not even talking about people we could potentially buy. But we're going to really need to see a lot of those people leave. And it's got to be, and I really hope it's all. I can't deal with another U.S. so I really can't. There's um, a potential Sassanian coming back as well. Yeah, yeah, and that could be helpful for left-back depth. I mean, do we, yeah, do you want to keep Ben Davis? Um Someone to push Regulon would be kind of nice in a, in, a, in a similar vein to how he plays. So it could be very interesting to see what he gives. But he's more of a left wing back than a kind of classic left back. So we'll see. And then for yeah. me, honestly. That might I'm depend not, on coach a little bit to go back to the question. Yeah, well, we really don't know. Yeah. Um, we really don't know depending on who the manager comes in it's going to be. But I, I really hope we see the end of those guys. They really need to get out. It's, free. it's good for, for their own good, too. Yeah. Like, I think they're just going to stall. They're not going to get – it's just going to be kind of purgatory, which 
I mean, everybody knows the life in Bruges and Tottenham and Purgatory, but that's kind of how we feel with a lot of these players. And we need to Yeah. Well, I think this question's ready-made for Lucas, so I'm going to go Lucas next. Uh, well, my obvious answer, I've been talking about it for a while now, just I don't think it matters. Um, if the players, if we have, if these players are the ones that are still here, I really don't think it would matter if Pep or Klopp were managing together. Like, it, it just, it wouldn't matter who the next guy is if these players are the ones that are still here. You have, like, Nate listed a few there. Like, we have a whole bunch of guys that have really no business being here anymore. Sissoko's one. Winks needs to go. Lamella's not good enough. Our center backs, you could pick. Sanchez isn't good enough. Serge probably isn't good enough. You could make the case that Regulon hasn't been good enough. And if they come back with that $35 million buyback, it's about one thing Nate mentioned with selling. Um, I think a big problem for us in the past has been not selling at the right times. So the, theoretically, in a few years down the road, Regulon might not be worth $35 million. We just don't know. Um, so if that shot comes up, maybe that's something that we have to think about too. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of guys that really need to move on. Um, and if those right numbers come in with offers this summer, I hope we don't get stingy with it. And I hope we take those offers right Even away. Even if no, they're we, not we right. We probably won't. Yeah, like we just, we need, we're, we're stale. It's simple as we're it's so stale and we need new blood in here. Uh, we're going to go to Joe L next, but I want to roll in Rick's question because we've kind of already drifted into it. Um, so you can kind of answer both Kyle mates, like does it doesn't matter who the next manager is if uh, we don't change personnel. Uh, but then Rick, uh, uh, our own Rick asks, asks us on Twitter, I personally think that there isn't a single player that shouldn't be sold if the right price comes along. Uh, we need a complete overhaul of the squad. Who do you think should be sold? Uh, so consider who you think should be sold along with Kyle mates question when you answer uh, Joe. Yeah, there's there's a couple like there's a few names that uh, Nate and Lucas already mentioned that are completely obvious ones. Uh, I think we don't like for me Davidson Sanchez has to be gone. Um, he just can't defend. Sizoko definitely needs to go. Um, yeah, Winks I not quite as strongly about, but yeah, I we probably agree on the main candidates there. But what I was going to say just just to almost play devil's advocate a little bit to that is I I actually think and I'm trying to kind of answer both questions at once here but I think with what we've done badly as a club is in terms of recruitment we haven't had a really like a long-term vision in terms of how we play our playing style right like what our tactics are let's let's buy players to fit the system we don't do that we've never done that really on the league we just buy players almost like scattergun like oh Steven Bergwijn's available uh, for 20 minutes like let's have him even though we don't really need him and I'm not beating up on Bergwijn I'm just giving him an, an example you know we've got like five players who can play number 10 at the moment you know you got Delhi, Lucas Bale Undombele, Kane could play like you. Then we've got one who can play holding midfield, who's Hoybier, because Winks, uh, sorry, not Winks, um, Skip is still not available to us. So the disjointed Joe, nature. I think of, another one, yeah. Joe, another one, like you were just saying, is like a Doherty. We bought Doherty, who was an attacking yes. right wing back, and put him under Mourinho, where we didn't play that way. Exactly. That's that's actually a, a better example. That's a perfect example. And I think that you can take that, Lucas. And you can apply that for the last 10, 15 years to our recruitment. You look at a team like Leicester, 
You look how smart they and Liverpool as well. I know Liverpool are having a bad season, but just talking about recruitment specifically, they'll get a guy like Andy Robertson, who no one was going for when he got relegated with Hull. Andy Robertson, no one was saying, "Oh, he's a great player." Liverpool paid eight million for him, and he's been—I know he's again not having the greatest season now, but he's been the best left back for like three years in the whole league because they saw something in him. They have data analytics teams that like look at them, that crunch the numbers and they know their system. We don't know our system. That's why our record signing is Undombele. We can't fit into our bloody team. We don't even pick him in a cup final because we don't trust him because we don't know what position he's meant to play because we don't plan for a, the bigger picture. Like that's what the Leicesters, even West Ham, teams like that, that's what they're doing. They're looking hold on, bigger. Hold on, 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 hold on. There have been good moments and there have been bad moments. First of all, Ndombele and Lacelso. Like mm-hmm. those are those are people we all knew that in that season. Everybody said we need to overhaul the midfield. We can't do another win Sissoko. And we did. We bought two guys who were very highly rated, but everyone was happy we got. I mean, everybody saw Ndombele destroy City at Lyon. Like he did it twice. He did it twice. Um Lacelso made a deep run with Batiste into the Europa League and he was fantastic for them. And then they came here and they were shit. Like and then and then but on the flip side we've had some great we've done some great moves over now. Deli Ali was was fantastic for a long time. Young well, Deli, listen, no one saw him being as as good as he. But despite all the shit we've given him, for the most part, he's been fantastic. I don't think anyone saw him becoming as big as he's had. Um, Toby Alderweireld for eleven and a half million. Like there have been good things we've yeah. done. It's not been well, all. And so I don't. So then to, to say West Ham, West Ham's had one good year. Whoa, whoa, West Ham's hold on. Had one let, good year. Hey, we're there. Let me let me interject. So. You're using examples of Alderweireld and Son that we signed six years ago uh, under a different recruitment team. Steve Hitchin wasn't even... That, that, so that is right. That was Paul Delhi was scouted by David Pleat, so he wasn't even bought by the recruitment team that we've got now. So when we're really scraping the bat. Like, the point I'm really making isn't so much... Yes, of course you can go back over the last, like, seven years and you can pick good players we've signed. Undumbele is a good player. Potential is the word Lucas used, and that's what everyone talks about with Ndombele. The guy can't last a bloody match. He can't play a full game. He has to come off after an hour. So we're our scouting team looking at sixty million that we paid for him and thinking, let's buy a player who can't last a whole game. He's not fit enough to play in the Premier League. Yeah, He's but and overall, you're, you're absolutely right. We've struck out more than we've hit by a mile. But so have West Ham. West Ham. Think about all the times they've bought. Think about. What was that dude? Felipe Anderson that they bought for like $35 million from Lazio that was total bust. They've had several of those. Leicester too. But recently, yes, they've become the team we used to be. And yeah. we, when Damien Camoli found these kind of dimes in the rough for us that kind of get charged us in 2010 to get to the Champions League, like Luka Modric is of the world. We fall yeah. flat, and it's definitely, it's definitely yeah, it, like Steve Hitchens is not filling with confidence. Um, but it really is like it happens a lot. It happens most of the time. Like I mean, we've actually been kind of lucky we've gone this long without it hitting us this bad, or, or that it's really affected us because it took West Ham. West Ham finally got it right, but they've had that stadium for how long now? And they could never get it right until this year. Um, and Leicester had peaks and valleys as well. The problem is we now find ourselves in desperate need of new blood. And I don't think we have any money. Um, we are right. massively so, in debt with that stadium. 
We've not been able to fill it, so we're not getting any revenue from it. We're not getting Champions League this year. We'll be lucky if we get Europa League. Mm. Where's this money going to come from? Like, and so, like, maybe that's what Levy's going to say, well, you guys didn't want Super League. Now we have no money. It's like my worst fear for this summer that that's going to happen. And so that yeah. that just makes Kyle's point all the more necessary, that we need to sell as many people as we can just so we can buy, just so we can afford maybe yeah. even well, two players to bring in. And then we I, get fined or something like that. Though, Let's go to Lucas. I think yeah. another thing, Nate, Nate, you talked about how like it's it, it's we've gone this long without it really hitting us. And I think a massive part of that is Kane. I think Kane's kind of shielded and kind of disguised, camouflaged, if you will, like some of the massive mm. holes and problems that we have. His ability to take over a game in like three different roles or play wherever you need him and come up with these results that get us points, like he's been our best defender in some games, like clearing well, that's, balls that's off the line. Been really, I mean, it's been, it's been growing, but you really only see it hit like God level status this year. I think more of it is the guys we've come in have not been able to replace the guys that we lost. And Dombele's not replacing Dembele. Celso has not replaced Erickson. Walker and Rose did not get replaced by Aurier and Reguilon. Um, Vertonghen's not been replaced by Dyer, Sanchez, Roden, whatever. Um, yeah. Even like even when Wanyama played well, we've not replaced that role. So like, yeah. those are the places where it's really hurting us. Is that we had a team that was fantastic, and every single person we brought in to replace the players that have left has severely underperformed. Yeah. But, no, I, yeah, no. Our war is shit for the baseball fan. Very quickly, sorry. I just, but I really do think we've got this issue with we just we don't buy as part of a oh this is our system this player we've identified fits our system. We just kind of buy players almost like ad hoc. Like, well, you really can't I really do that don't anymore think... because how long do managers last? Like, no, I think you can. I think you can do that though. I, there's recent example that you can, like when teams like Liverpool buy. A good example, I'll go back to it, is is with Leicester, right? The way Leicester won the league with playing that direct foot style of football, low possession, that wouldn't work with most teams, right? That that isn't going to work if you've got like a big lump up front. Like you you have a style of play that, and you you look at players that fit that system. So we've gone from Pochettino, who was a high pressing manager, um, to Mourinho, who's Let's have low possession and play a low block and hit on the. They're two totally incompatible styles of football. You can't have a team that's built for one and then have it do the other and then use the same personnel. You've got to get the right personnel for the right system. And we need to have a manager in mind who will play a certain style of football and then recruit based on that style of football. And that's what we've not been doing for a long time. Well, and to your point, Joe, like, uh, I, I think we also have to be not afraid to sell the right player at the same time. I mean, you mentioned Liverpool for a second there, and uh, Coutinho was sold, and they they, they got better. Um, and granted, like you have to know what ties you can cut and still build up a plan around the, the, the players that you're bringing in. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think that we've done that well. I don't think I think we've tried to, but um, but the Pochettino fading at the wrong time after that Champions League final and like the 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 half year build leading up to that final, um, and then uh, like the the snap decision to bring in Jose Mourinho with a squad that really wasn't built for a Jose Mourinho. 
Um, like uh, you didn't have like your defensive build up and then like quick counterattack player. It wasn't what we were set up to do. Um, as much as I wanted Jose to succeed, um, it probably was never going to happen. And if instead we had made the decision to uh, like cut a Delhi Ali when he had value left, uh, like as much as like I love Delhi. Like, uh, if we had sold him when he had value at 70 million before he started to look like he doesn't give a shit about playing the sport anymore, um, uh, could we have gotten something to, to build a, a style play around? Like, I, I, I think that's the point that both uh, Rick and Kyle Mates are making that, yes, like, I think we could have done all that. And, and we certainly haven't. And I think that's what we need to do moving forward, whether, like, People are going to get upset. Like if we go out there and sell like a uh, Harry Kane tomorrow, we're all going to be upset. Um, you know, if we go out and sell um, Sun, we're all going to be upset. But um, at some point, we might we might need to cut ties with players and and build something new at some point, and that might be based off of what coach we bring in. Um, you might have to do both with a bit more of a plan, I think is what I'm saying. Like it, not necessarily I'm blaming the players. I'm blaming the coach. You got to have a plan together. Like, I think Nate wants to respond to me here. Lucas, go ahead. Oh, oh Lucas. No, I, I was, yeah. I was just going to say, I agree with Joe's point about us not having like buying for our system and for our philosophy. But I think the first thing we got to do is figure out what that is. And that's what this new manager is going to have to do is come in and say, this is my plan. And he might have to be okay with the fact that we might not have a lot of money for him to buy who he wants. So we're going to have to find a manager that comes in and says, this is my identity. This is I want to play. Let's buy the right personnel for me to do that. But we also have, like Nate talked about, where's this money going to come from? This manager has to come in and kind of accept the fact that he's not going to just be able to have his pick of the lot. There's a manager in the Premier League who's um, who's, – kept up a very inferior team for five straight seasons. And one year he got him in Europe. And he's had to spend basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, even less than we did. Like, And just kind of bringing up these random championship players. And his name is Sean Deitch. And I, um, I wonder. Is this all tongue-in-cheek, Nate? Or is this what you really think? I think I'm teetering on insanity and... Half of me thinks it's a fine line. He is starting to believe in it. Um, Because part of me just wants to entertain the idea of what could a man like Sean Deitch do for a big club? Would it be total dog shit? Maybe. But right now it's total dog shit, too. So I could see worse decisions. And one of those worst decisions is Roberto Martinez or Gareth Southgate. Um, Yes. So, and some of the names that are getting thrown around, if it's not Brendan Rodgers, who I can't see coming from Leicester. Graham Potter, intriguing a little bit, but Brighton have still been pretty shit. So I'm kind of worried. Like, is he going to really help our defense? And then, other than that, you're getting like uh, this this guy Ragnick, who's 62 from Germany, and uh, there's one more that's kind of and uh, then the Scotty Ajax Parker, manager, Scott Parker, who's going to get relegated this year, and uh, the IX manager, who's yeah, he, he had that great run in the Champions League final, but he's in a league where uh, Frank DeBoer, it just it scares me. It scares me because he could be Frank DeBoer part two with someone coming from Ajax who is in a league where they're always going to win and going to a much more competitive league, and, and it could be very difficult for him. So 
So I'm kind of nervous about that, too. There's really no great options. So why not a Premier League-proven manager who can, who can exceed expectations with very little budget? Why not? Hell, let's bring Chris Wooden. He's got 10 goals the last four-plus seasons. You can bring Tarkowski in to help our defense. Dwight McNeil's a good player. You know, just, just let's just pillage Burnley. Bring Sean Dyche in with what we have. 4-4-2 with Wooden Kane. We played like Burnley on Sunday, didn't we, with all Top those... four, ball. guaranteed. Especially without Europe next year, or Conference League. Uh-huh. I, just, I just don't know how to feel about any of them, is what my point. Like... I, I no don't know. Good, there's no great option. Yeah. There's no great option. To yeah. be fair, none of us thought Pochettino was going to turn out the way he did. So, no, this is true. But, uh, true. but yeah, yeah, no, there's really nothing that stands out, which is why I'm pushing the Sean Dyche angle. Because, but, but Nate, you're not? right. Pochettino was under, like, at the time, everyone wanted uh, Louis Van Gaal as manager, and Pochettino was, like, kind of underwhelming at the time. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I just. Totally agree with what Lucas was saying. We need to figure out our identity. And we've even talked about it on this podcast. The last time I was on, there was a question about, you know, if we lost our identity. We need to get that back. We need to get back a a playing style we have an idea with, we stick to it, and we go. And even if we do change manager, we get another manager who's of a similar playing style. So it's not, oh, let's go from high press to low block, which are the two polar opposites in terms of styles of football. Let's actually get some con- continuity throughout the club. Let's get the under-21 team, the youth teams, playing the same way. So when they come in, they're not playing a totally different, like basic stuff. That's what appeals uh, for the Ajax guy a little bit for me is because Ajax have got that whole philosophy. Um, but you do make a good point that even De Boer, who's possibly the worst manager in history, was all right there. So, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a it's a good point. But, like, yeah, having a system-wide plan is, is something that we have to think about that with uh, Joe. I'm going to give Joe T final thoughts on this before we preview the Sheffield United game. So do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. Oh, there's so much. I mean, I'm just sitting listening to you guys. Um, I guess the one thing that, you know, you kind of brought it up that the one thing that we talked about in the beginning of this is that Enoch is an investment group and they're going to be looking at the loss of revenue with the Super League. They're going to be looking at the loss of revenue without any fans in this massive stadium that we just bought. And if he is treating this like an investment, we do have to worry about Harry Kane. Um, he could go at any minute. We haven't really seen him, the, the club, try and sign a striking partner for him. I mean, we've been lucky with Son. Not recently. Um, and, you know, if he's going to cash in on that, I think it's going to be now where we don't, we probably don't have Europe next year. We're probably still going to maybe have at the most 5,000 fans in the stadium next year. Um, I think this could be a pretty awful summer for us. Uh, and it could almost be like a fire sale to try and get some money into the club and try and save Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy's paycheck at the end of the year. That's kind of one thing I'm worried about. Oof. That's a dark thought, but like I think there's some validity to that. Like uh, the economics are catching up with us. Uh, uh, the, the COVID economics, like uh, um, 
we were poised so well with the stadium and uh, we've been screwed by the same thing uh, once COVID hit and we weren't able to put fans into the stadium. So you, everything else that we tried to do, the Super League nonsense, you're right, Joe, this could all lead us down the path like where we might not be able to at least make any net sales. Like if it's, if we're, if we sell somebody, if we buy somebody, it's only because we've sold somebody first. Um, and, uh, it's not going to be of equal value. I don't think at this point in time. So yeah, dark times, but, um, excellent conversation and great questions. Thank you so much. Both, uh, uh, Rick and Kyle. Um, but we do have to move on the conversation and really quickly uh, preview this upcoming match on next Sunday. So we do have a week's break once again, um, and we take on Sheffield United at home Sunday, May 2nd. Uh, this is a late match here uh, in Chicago, 115. It kicks off here. Um, they currently sit in last place in the league, so 20th place uh, with 17 points, 5 wins, 2 draws, and 26 losses. Uh, they did have a win their most recent match uh, at home to Brighton, uh, 1-0, um, this past Saturday. Um, but prior to that, they had lost their uh, five consecutive matches. So lost to Wolves, lost to Arsenal, lost to Leeds, and lost to Chelsea prior to that. Um, after us, they take on uh, Crystal Palace at home on May 8th. Um, David McGoldrick is their Top goal scorer with seven, and Billy Sharp is behind him with only three goals behind him. Uh, their top assist is a uh, three-way tie with uh, John Flick, uh, John Lundstrom, and uh, George Belloc, uh, Belduck for with two. Um, Ethan Apadu is their top-rated player with 6.65, and uh, McGoldrick's behind him with 6.63. Last five times that we've taken them on, I'm really only going to focus on the most recent three. So we did beat them back in January, 3-1. We lost to them, uh, 3-1, back in July after the restart. Um, We drew them uh, 1-1 in November 2019. And then our previous two um, uh, competitions against them were in 2015 in the uh, the League Cup, uh, 2-2 draw and a 1-1 uh, win prior to that. Um, so, um, obviously this team doesn't have much to play for, but they did pull out their, uh, a victory the, the week after they got relegated. Um, I don't know if this makes them more threatening. We have this history of, uh, losing the teams that have been already relegated. We've seen it to Newcastle in recent years. They're fucking so. shit. And they don't have a purpose anymore in the league. Yeah. Like there's, this is like, it, it, like <laughs> this is they're one of the worst teams to ever play in the Premier League. I, I agree, and, and I'm setting um, it up just because if you know, don't even try, it. don't even try to put any intrigue in it. It's a dead rubber. I don't know who just made that new background, but that's fun. <laughs> um, but like, but yeah, no, I've got nothing for this. It's it, it's it's really like the only thing that we really need to think about is how we respond. Are we gonna go out there and think? We could actually play for Europe. I mean, a lot of results kind of continue to seemingly go our way on people dropping points. Um, we could get Europa League still, and I'd rather be in Europa League than not. Um, and there's an outside shot for Champions League, so it all really is how we respond, really. And I'd like to see us respond well against a really shit team. 
Good point, Nate. Uh, Lucas, since you're next. Yeah, I, there's really not a lot you can say about it. They're not a good team, and this is all going to come down to are we feeling sorry for ourselves and licking our wounds after yesterday, or do we come out and show some kind of fight and backbone for the remaining games in the season? And I think there's no reason why we should go over and if we come up and we're ready for it, like we're actually up for the match, like I think we'll just turn them over and it should be no problem. Well, and to your point, Lucas, like we can fight for Europe here. I mean, we the chance of Champions League are not mathematically impossible, but let's face it, it's impossible. Um, but but Europe is feasible if we can find a way to uh, win our matches uh, moving forward. And if we come out and look at it that way, maybe like this is a match that we need to ro- roll over this team and and take all three points, right? Uh, let's go to Joel. See, the way I'm, I mean, I agree that we want to, of course, be in Europe. Actually, Lucas, Lucas might not agree because he hates the Europa. And, <laughs> but I, I, of course, in terms of player recruitment, in terms of income generated, except, of course, it's advantageous to be in the Euro- European competition uh, rather than otherwise. But what I'd actually ideally want to happen here is if we could get a new manager in, use this last five games as that manager's bedding in time because the worst thing when you get a new manager is that next season is already written off as a transitional the first half of it at least is transitional season because you're getting used to the new manager's system even if you've had a pre-season I would love us to get the new manager in like ASAP I really would because then this five games sets that tone and gives them that lead up into the um, pre-season so um, in terms of this game so it's kind of hard. Well, I, I mean, it depends who we go for. I don't know. Like, if we're going to get someone like, I don't know, the guy from Ajax, we'll have to pay compensation, right? Because he's under contract. But it, it, who's to? I mean, that league's done, right? It, right. It, we could do it. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's not feasible. But if it is, I, I think that would be uh, much better for us. Um, in terms of this game, I agree with Nate that Sheffield United are a, a really. A poor team and we should beat them easily um i don't see there's i think there's zero chance of champions league and that's been even generous like we're just got it's just not happening but europa all right that can everton won at arsenal so that's put a bit of pressure on us but we 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 should be okay for europa we've got to win this game they'd be criminal if we don't beat sheffield united yeah well and i i think like um I, I would be shocked if we haven't decided who's going to be our next coach already. Like, uh, I I think it is just waiting out their contract at wherever they're at at this point, or else Ryan Mason wouldn't be coaching the squad right now. Um, so I don't think we're going to see somebody come in and get the, that, that vetting period out of the way this season. I think it's going to be Ryan Mason for the rest of the season. And then, like, as soon as the offseason's on we'll know who that person is right away and it's probably already been decided but uh, but regardless like Sheffield United like we've got to at least fight for Europa League we need that money we need to be able to draw in some talent this offseason we have to keep ourselves competitive we can still sell the stadium as like this this is going to be a great place to play once things get past COVID Um, we have that going for us um but we need to show that we ha- we, we we can fight to the end at the at this season, and I, that comes with like when you place the 
when you play the worst team in the league that's been already relegated, you just have to annihilate them. And uh, that's what I hope to see this match, that, I, that Ryan Mason just puts an attacking side out there and just steamrolls over these guys and shows that, yes, we are a top top of the table team, even if it is fifth or sixth place at best at this point. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at on this. Um, anybody else want to make any final points before we go to predictions? Uh, Joe T. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the best record against Sheffield. We've played them five times. We've won two, we've drawn two, and they've won once. It's not a lock. It's um, these types of nothing, teams that we... I wouldn't say it's a lock, but like at the same time, man, it's like this isn't sixth place gunning for Europe all season Sheffield last year. They, they're totally like dead. And this is a game we lose. This I, is I mean, the yeah, game you're absolutely we right. We play but, like Spurs and we lose. Yeah, we get, and yeah, we could because we could lose to anybody. But I just don't see it happening with this team. I, I mean, there have been. I just don't see. It. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I just, just they like they, they don't even have any. Yeah, and, and I guess I could say you could say they have nothing to play for. We could bring up bring up Newcastle at the end of the season a couple of years back when they just picked on us five one. But I don't know. I just I just see them as having like zero energy either, and just waiting to the end of the season. So at least. That Newcastle team had to impress their new manager in Rafa Benitez. This team is, has like an interim guy. Like Wilder's been gone. Like I just like they just seem totally checked out to me. Even when Liverpool was like losing six straight, they beat them. So like, as far as like trap games go, I'm not too worried about this one. Leeds, yeah. Wolves, different story. But this one, not really. Yeah. Well, we, we, I think the point is we have to to not let ourselves uh, uh, wallow in the, the city loss this past weekend. Uh, like it, we, we certainly have to come out and, and play like we, we are the team that should win this match. We can't, if, if, we look, if we feel like we're uh, um, down and uh, like we, we've got nothing to play for, then we're, we could get ourselves into trouble with this and to, to Joe's point. Uh, but uh, final thoughts from Lucas before we go to predictions. No, I was, I was just going to say I, I agree, and I think that it's we're going to learn a lot about these players based on what we see on Sunday, whether or not. If these guys have any type of personal pride um, and backbone, they, we should come out and absolutely destroy this team. And I think that's what will happen. I think these players, as much as we tear them apart, we know that these guys aren't the – they're not the embodiment of – having a proper spine, but I think that they're still going to want to come out and prove at home too, that, that like yesterday wasn't the norm. And I think they're going to want to show a little bit of their own pride on Sunday. Yeah. No, good, good shout. Well, let's start with predictions and I'm going to go to uh, Joe T first. I'm going to go with uh two, one us just uh, to save score. I hope that's what we go. Uh, who are your goal scorers? Uh, I'm going to say Bale. And Sun's going to get a last-minute redemption. Sun needs a redemption, so I hope you're right on that. Uh, let's go to Nate next. Um, I, I think we'll win 4-1. to one. I think it'll be very reminiscent of kind of those early, those kind of late winter Bale games against kind of lesser opposition. Or we'll see him take over. I expect Kane will play 
and um, I think um, we'll be able to win it comfortably, which would be nice for Mason again. Um, I really hope this is the case. So I'm going to say Dale gets two, Kane gets one, and let's go with LaCelso for a fun fourth. God yeah. knows he needs it. That would be nice to see LaCelso get on the board. Let's go to Lucas next. Uh, yeah, I had four one as well, and I had Kane gets two, Bale gets one, and Lucas gets one. Okay. Uh, uh, Joe L? 3-1. Um, yeah, Bale definitely can see Bale running riot against this lot. Um, I'm going to say Bale scores, and I've got a funny feeling Lucas will score as well. So let's say Bale, Lucas, and Kane. I'm, uh, I'm w- with you, Joe. I think it's going to be 3-1. Um, I think it's going to be Kane, Bale, and Son is always a safe bet in those three. And I think uh, Bale will start this one. Uh, um, I think uh, week's rest, I think Ryan Mason knows that he needs to have a goal scorer and in, in a, uh, an additional goal scorer in the match. And I, I hope we see him play here. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up the podcast? I know we've gone a bit long. Well, thank you so much. I would, for... Hold on. I have one thing. Sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead, Nate. I just want to say, like, even through all the kind of – I want to end on a kind of a high since it's been a really downer of a podcast. Um, it's been a kind of a downer. It's been a hell of a week, and it's been a very exhausting season. And down of that last thing we had to kind of play for was on. But I just want to say, like, having it be assured that there wasn't a Super League and actually seeing Ryan Mason, 29-year-old Ryan Mason, off his – an injury that almost could have killed him come back to his boyhood club and get get a win in his first game. It was a really a great moment. Um, and having it, I actually kind of hope he sees it out and some sort of fairytale magic happens before we go on a run these last few games. It's definitely possible with the schedule we have to see if something, something special could still happen. But I definitely feel with him that there's a connection that I haven't felt in a while back with Tottenham again. And it and it's kind of makes me kind of happy. And, and I hope to have continued good vibes for the rest of the season and then we'll see what happens in the summer and see who comes in and what, what's next to come but I do know that at the beginning of the week I wasn't sure whether I'd still be a Tottenham fan at the end of this year and now I feel much more connected than I have in a good long while so that's very good despite how we've been playing No and I, I love that shout Nate because a guy like Ryan Mason who played with the club in uh, he was cut from the under 18s, wasn't he? Like he was, uh, uh, like, no. wasn't he cut and then he came back and fought oh, his way I, back? I don't know. I never heard about that. Yeah. I just know like, uh, he, he had a couple of really bad loan spells before kind of hitting. And, and, but that he, might have happened. But he fought his way into this, this team. He's not that talented of a player, so he had to learn the right way to play the sport. And I think there's something valuable in that. Um, like I don't think there's the, the he's a future coach for us unless it's years down the road and we find out different stuff than we know now. Um, uh, the information's got to change, but the excitement of having that guy, I, I would much rather have watch him coach us through the rest of the season than Jose Mourinho, where we had gone and just the total disjointedness in the lost squad. Same law squad that we had under Pochettino, but like uh, at least we have somebody who you know is Spurs through and through that's coaching us, and we're just going to get out of the season on that high. So great, great way to end the podcast, Nathan. Thank you so much for doing that. 
but that about wraps up the podcast. So thank you so much to Jojo, Nate, and, and Lucas. Um, uh, thanks to Tommy for editing and sound tonight. Charlie for the music. Kevin for social media. Uh, Lucas for Luke's Locks. Kimberly for the logo. And as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill. It was great to be out there this weekend. Can't wait till everybody can be back there once again and we can enjoy the matches together. Uh, find our merchandise at Big Head Media. Hit the subscribe button and, uh, and write us a review on iTunes if you like our podcast. Find us both on Spotify and Twitter. Um, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Star Spurs and our website at 4 Star Spurs.com. Come on, you Spurs.